welcome to All About Agatha, the podcast dedicated to reading and ranking every single mystery novel written by the queen of crime, Dame Agatha Christie. I'm Catherine Broback. And I'm Kemper Donovan. And this week we are doing a short story that is named for a nursery rhyme. Sing a song of sixpence, none the richer. Oh no, you didn't go there. Kiss me out of the bearded barley lightly beside the green, green grass. Does sixpence, none the richer have any other songs? <laughs> Beneath the milky twilight. Beneath twilight. <laughs> Can twilight really be milky? I don't know what milky twilight looks like. I don't know either. Is it like Milky Way? As in the Milky Way? I guess maybe lift your open hands, strike up the band, and make the fireflies dance, silver moon sparkling. Me. <laughs> Anywho, I don't think that's exactly what Christie was referencing with this title. No. <laughs> All right, so publication history on this one, Sing a Song of Sixpence, was actually published in Holly Leaves, which is the annual Christmas special of the Illustrated Sporting and Dramatic News. We had a short story published in Holly Leaves just last week with our partners in crime story, The Unbreakable Alibi. So interestingly, this was the very next year in December of 1929. Unbreakable Alibi was December of 1928. So one year later, Christie repeated her Christie short story for Christmas with this story. We did not do that on purpose. It just so happens that they were total accident. And also this is in our Listerdale mystery collection in 1934, which we are very fond of. Absolutely. All right. Well, let's talk about our victim here. <laughs> well, it is one Miss Lily Crabtree. She's an elderly lady and she has been murdered. And so this is markedly different from our previous Holly Leaves Christie for Christmas. Although both of them are similarly devoid of Christmas elements. That is definitely, definitely true. This lady has been beaten over the head until she died. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas, one and all. All right, let's talk about our suspects. First up, we have Miss Magdalene Vaughn, who is an appealing dark-haired young lady. We'll hear much more about her in just a moment. And we have uh, Matthew Vaughn, not the director, but her brother. So next up, we have William Crabtree, who is cousin to Magdalene and Matthew and also Miss Lily Crabtree, our victim's nephew. And he is an ailing, sickly sort of gentleman. And we have Emily Crabtree, who is William's wife. And last but certainly not least, because we should never underestimate the help, we have Martha, who is a servant within the household and who has been with our victim, Miss Crabtree, forever. Right. So the world as it appears to be is that Sir Edward Palliser is a very eminent criminal barrister. I think he's retired. And we know this because it's talked about at length. He does some criminology stuff now. I have to note, because I think it's interesting that 
Christie chose the surname Palliser, which many readers of mid to late Victorian novels will recognize as a surname often used by Anthony Trollope. I'm going into a Trollope diatribe here, so buckle in. All right. So he has the Palliser novels and the Barchester novels and then a bunch of standalones, but the Pallisers follow this family, and I have to believe it's not coincidence that she uses this surname because they are a quite established and respected family of people and Sir Edward seems to fit right in there and I, I like the idea that Christy was fanning out a little bit as a big Trollope fan and she actually we didn't have time to reference this on our appointment with death episode but there's this amazing reference to Trollope at the very beginning of appointment with death when Poirot is talking about what that opening line of that novel could mean you know one of the best opening lines you see don't you that she has to be killed. And he muses that, oh, maybe they're talking about a character in a play that they're writing. And he brings up this anecdote of Trollope overhearing two gentlemen talk about a character within a book series that was being serialized currently and how much they hate the character and saying, oh, I wish that he would just kill off that character. And Trollope coming up to them and saying, you know what? I think you're right. And then killing this character off in the very next installment. And off of that anecdote, which I'd never heard before, and it seems like it was a little skewed from what had actually happened, but I knew literally what character she was talking about because there's this amazing character, Mrs. Prouty in the Barchester novels, who gets very suddenly killed off, and it's shocking, and it's awful in an amazing way. And I'm not surprised that it happened that way because it feels extremely sudden. I think clearly Christie was a big fan. We know that she was actually a huge fan of Dick Dickens. She loved Dickens. She talks a lot about that in her, yes, Catherine, her autobiography, and references Dickens constantly. She referenced Dickens in Murder on the Orient Express. There's a lot of Dickens, not quite as many as there are for of Sherlock Holmes, but there's still Dickens references peppered throughout the canon. But Trollope isn't far behind, so I like the idea that this is a little uh, stealth Trollope reference that we're beginning with here in the story. All right, so... So, we're still on Edward Palliser, and Edward Palliser, one of the things that we do know about him, other than his very famous barrister career and also his criminology stuff, is that he appears to hit on teenage girls on ocean liners. Yeah, he was on a transatlantic ocean liner, and he apparently had a run-in with a very, very charming girl uh, who yeah. was in in her first bloom at 17 years of age. Yeah. And that would be Miss Magdalene Vaughn. They were on the Siluric together. They Siluric? were? Siluric? Siluric. I think I'll, I'll pronounce it Siluric. Siluric That's sounds right. That's what I'm going to choose. This, however, was quite some time ago. It was about 10 years earlier, right? Mm-hmm. You know, on that voyage, while he was sort of in the throes of Hitting interest, on teenage girls. Yeah. In this 17-year-old, he, he said to her, you know, if you should ever need anything, ever, mm-hmm. just come ever. to me and I, and I will help you out. 10 years later, a now late 20s, no longer in the first bloom of her youth, I suppose, and only a couple of years from the dreaded mid-30s when the bloom is just completely over, yeah, as great, we've seen thanks. in other Christie novels. Yeah, and as we know in life, I suppose. Thank you, Kemper. <laughs> well, you know what's also interesting is that two podcasts ago, I think we had another Magdalene. That's true. 
And Magdalene is, of course, such a loaded name, right? I love that name, but um, yeah, I love it too. It's just whenever you name anyone Magdalene, loaded. Yeah, there's just a lot of baggage, shall we say, with with that name. But um, this is what Sir Edward Palliser says about seeing Magdalene Vaughn nine or ten years later when she shows up at his doorstep. And I underlined it, and what I put in the margin was, ugh, gross. (laughs) (laughs) He flashed a quick glance at her. She was still a very good-looking girl, but she had lost what had been to him her charm, that look of dewy, untouched youth. Yeah. Well, hey, that's what happens to all of us women. We hit 20 and... (laughs) um, And it's just all over. It's all over. Christy actually goes on with the narration here. It was a more interesting face now, perhaps. A younger man might have thought so. But Sir Edward was far from feeling the tide of warmth and emotion that had been his at the end of that Atlantic voyage. Hashtag me too. (laughs) However, he's not so horrible that he actually voices those opinions. He does keep them to himself. And he says that. Because also, by the way, that's so much better. You're just keeping all of your thoughts about how she is a shriveled up prune at 27, who he doesn't want to touch. He pretends that he's still interested in her now that she is a 27-year-old hag. And he tells her towards the end of this short story, please don't ever contact me again, basically. Yeah, I think he feels that he's he's paid his debt by the end of yeah. this story. Yeah, so he, he's a lovely gentleman. Yeah, at the very end of the story, Magdalene is thanking him and saying, oh, how wonderful you saved me. Spoiler, sorry, but he does solve the problem here and save the day. And this is what Chrissy writes. Sir Edward smiled down at her and patted her hand gently. He was very much the great man. Little Magdalene had been very charming on the Siluric. That bloom of 17, wonderful. She had completely lost it now, of course. (laughs) (laughs) And then he says, next time you need a friend... And then Magdalene says, I'll come straight to you. No, no, cried Sir Edward in alarm. That's just what I don't want you to do. Go to a younger man. It's just like (laughs) the most horrible thing I feel like I could have read. I mean, I don't know if I'm taking it personally. And then he disappears into a taxi and, and he muses further. Even the charm of a dewy 17 seemed doubtful. It could not really compare with a really well-stocked library on criminology. And then he just goes home. It's so gross. It's He is so icky. I almost can't talk about the story without wanting to scrub myself off. Yeah, so this is our amateur detective protagonist for the story, unfortunately. Let's focus on the mystery as opposed to the amateur detective who is solving it, shall we? Yeah, so Magdalene goes to Sir Edward, who she thinks is going to be a great saving grace and not like a super perv. (laughs) And she tells him this tale of her aunt getting bashed over the head and murdered. And she expects that all of her immediate family members are suspects because there are no other clues. The police have none. There's no evidence And so what she wants him to do is come and talk to their solicitor and also interview all the members of the family. And he agrees. I mean, he is a man of his word, despite being gross. This is also, I will note, the classic Christie trope of the stink of guilt is hanging over everyone in the family because no one knows what happened and mm-hmm. the air needs to be cleared for the sake yep. of the, in- the innocent who's yep. li- who need to move on with their lives. 
Absolutely it is. And so that is what Magdalene wants more than anything else. I don't even know that she thinks that they're guilty because sometimes we end up with a situation where, you know, the person who is confronting the problem believes that somebody did it. What Magdalene believes is that the police think somebody did it in the family. Interestingly, she's focused on clearing the air, but she's not focusing on the fact that most likely one of those people is going to have had to have done it. She just can't handle the air of uncertainty to the point where I actually had a a suspicion that she did it. it. Yeah, I had a suspicion that she did it because she just seemed to be so uninterested in figuring out who did it and, and rather to be interested in getting the police and just the general air of suspicion out of their house that it was curious. Another spoiler, that is not what happens here. She did not do it. But that's kind of the world as it appears to be. We don't get a sense that any one person more than than another is suspected. But all of the people who we mentioned as suspects are under equal suspicion because they were all in and around the house mm-hmm. when this woman had her head bashed in. Which and is also, by the way, particularly brutal. It was like in the entryway. Yeah, she did have money, right? So given the fact that this was her family who then inherited her money, and I believe even her lifelong servant inherited some sort of an annuity or something like that. So the money motive is there for all people involved. And then the the means is there because everyone was around and it's just hard to eliminate anyone from suspicion. That's kind of where we are when Sir Edward goes to investigate. Right. Let's talk about some clues because we actually have clues in this short story. Right. Somewhat surprising, but we do. And so clue number one is that the floors creak really badly in the Crabtree house. And this means that the members of the family hear the comings and goings of the other family members and where they are in the house. And this is actually, I mean, the deduction ultimately to be made there is that it makes it pretty hard for the perpetrator to have been in the house in and among everyone else in the family, given that the major means of entrance and exit within the house on the stairs are so noisy. And that ends up being a major deduction because perhaps our murderer came in and did his nasty work within the entranceway from a different place rather than in. Perhaps he or she came from the outside. The deduction is the only possible thing where it's that the perpetrator came from outside because anybody else would have been heard by everybody else. Right. It's a good Christy clue because like her best clues, it has that air of inevitability to it that, of course, that's what that clue means. But I didn't get there when I was told that the floor creaked. I didn't think, oh, the murderer must have come from outside. But that is, in fact, exactly what that means. Right. Clue number two. Miss Crabtree got her monthly cash in wads of five pound notes that she carried around in her bag and doled out as necessary. Seems like a rather grandmotherly slash older aunt sort of thing to do. Like, here you go, Sonny. Here's a fiver. Yep. She kind of sounds like she was a nice lady. Yeah, Miss Crabtree, just by her name. The lady carried a lot of cash on her. A lot of cash. This goes into clue number three. Martha the servant gave her a sixpence as change, according to Martha the servant. And Miss Crabtree threw a fit over it because it was apparently like a newer currency. Yes. So Martha tells Sir Edward that 
she got into this altercation about a new sixpence. But Sir Edward realizes that within the loose change that was left, presumably by Miss Crabtree, since she is the lady of the house, on the table, there are no new sixpences. There are two sixpences in there, but they're both old. Right. This is another good Christie clue where there's a misdirect here because we're told that there's an argument, right? So then we start thinking, okay, is Martha, who claims to, you know, have all of this loyalty to her employer, was she actually mm-hmm. disgruntled? Did she perhaps bash her over the head because of this altercation? When we hear about an argument and one person within that argument is the victim, what seems to be significant there is the fact that an argument took place, but that's not significant whatsoever. What's significant is that there had been a new sixpence that Miss Crabtree had in her possession because she argued about it, and now it's not there anymore. So what that means is that Miss Crabtree must have given the sixpence to someone. Right. And then also, though, the five-pound notes are missing. Yes. Given the fact that Miss Crabtree carried a lot of cash on her, she did not have any of that cash when she was found murdered. So all of the cash that she carried with her is missing. And then only this sixpence, this new sixpence, is also missing, even though there's a bunch of loose change. So that's really curious. The resolution here is... Oy vey. it's a little it's a little hard to even say this because this is the laziest I think that maybe we ever see Christy despite the fact that we have clues. There is an outsider, which we have been informed about. We can read into that, but the outsider, Martha's son is a seasoned criminal, walks in, saw the wad of five pound notes then the six pence and bashed miss crabtree over the head and then martha lied about everyone else's whereabouts yeah i mean i think it's fair that given the clues we just went through i think you a, a an, an astute reader one more astute than i could deduce from that that it sounds like someone came in from outside and robbed her, right? That they came in on the pretense of asking for change because that's why this own, the sixpence and only the sixpence would have been missing because Miss Crabtree must have actually picked that up from the table and given it to him, given the fact that she didn't like the new sixpence. It also makes sense that she would have chosen that right? specific coin. Right. But that that was then a pretense because this person that came in would have then seen the wad of five pound notes that Miss Crabtree also had had on the table. And that is certainly a lot of money. And that would be enough provocation for one who was already desperate enough to bash her over the head. So I think you can get there. The extra connection, the extra leap that we have to make is that there was an early reference to Martha, the servant, having a son. And then we get all this information at the end of the story when Sir Edward confronts her. Martha's son is a bit of a 'er ne'er-do-well. And she breaks down because she's been withholding all of this because she, She she saw it happen. I mean, she, this is her son who she's protecting, but she, she comes clean and she says, oh, he's been a bad one always. I gave him all the money I could. He's been in jail twice. He must have come around to see me and then Miss Crabtree seeing as I didn't answer the door. So that's convenient that Miss Crabtree was answering the door, but okay. Miss Crabtree answered it herself and he was taken aback and pulled out one of those unemployment leaflets, which, you know, he had on him. And the mistress being kind of charitable told him to come in and got out a sixpence. And all the time that roll of notes was lying on the table where it had been. And the devil got into my bed and he got behind her and struck her down. And beat an old woman to death. 
he beat an old woman to death and then she protected him. She saw the aftermath of it and then she says, I hustled him out and I went back to the kitchen and I went to lay for supper at the usual time. So Martha is not the murderer, but Martha is the one within this household who has been lying on behalf of the murderer and the reason why they're all under this cloud. Well, and I mean, I guess you protect your children. I mean, that makes sense, right? Of course sure. it makes sense. I think it's a little disingenuous on Christie's part to write this whole story and be like, oh yeah, I was a servant's kid. He came in and like murdered a lady at the door. Yeah, I don't know if we're really put on enough notice about the possibility that Martha's son could have been the murderer. We certainly never see him before. No. We are told that he exists, right? Yeah. We are we mm-hmm. are we are informed mm-hmm. of his existence, but we're not given much more right. than that. I mean, there's also a reason that we didn't list him as a person in the a list. Suspects. Yeah, in the list of suspects. No, 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 of course not. Yeah, and that's a problem. If we're not listing the actual murderer within our list of suspects, that shows that there's an issue. I mean, this is one of those cases where it's a short story. If this had been expanded into a novel, God forbid, with a character like Sir Edward Palliser, but if it had, she would have structured it differently. She can get away with cheating a little bit in the short stories because they're short stories and you're not investing as much time. So it's fine. But agreed, it's not the best structured of her stories. Sometimes she does better in the short stories. Most of the time she does better. I mean, I don't want to disrespect her because I think she does a great job in most of them. And this is just one of those where I'm like, no. I think you're still suffering from the bad taste of Sir Edward Palliser and his predilection for dewy 17-year-olds. It's a possibility. (laughs) But, like, if you start a short story with a guy who's preying on teenage girls on a boat... I'm probably going to be suspect of that short story. I did also not totally appreciate the coincidence that there's a small restaurant within the neighborhood called the Four and Twenty Blackbirds, <laughs> which is what keys Sir Edward into the nursery rhyme yeah. Sing a Song of Sixpence, A Pocket Full of Rye, yeah. Four and Twenty Blackbirds Baked in a Pie, which, yeah. as we mentioned, we will come across again. Yes, we will. Sing a Song of Sixpence. We don't have an adaptation for this one. A couple of the Listerdale mystery stories were adapted in the Agatha Christie Hour, but not this one. I'm sure, Catherine, you're so disappointed. No, well, okay, I'm not disappointed this one was not adapted, but I am disappointed in general that some of them weren't better adapted. Sure. I think there's, there are opportunities here. I like this collection quite a bit. Kemper. Yeah, I know you do. Not this story, to be clear. <laughs> of course. Join us next week for another short story. We are going back to Parker Pine. Catherine just, she begged me. She was like, Kemper. I know. I, I was just I like, require you know, a Parker Pine in my life. You know, I just, I have to have thing, it. I just need to know what happiness is. And like, I can only <laughs> find it from Parker Pine. We need to know those six reasons why people are unhappy. Mm-hmm. We've just, yeah. we've got to break it down with our resident statistician slash heart specialist, Parker Pine. So we are going to revisit him in the case of the distressed lady. Let's hope that Catherine's not the distressed lady of the title well, as we're going you know, through. You, you guys never know. <laughs> I mean, I, I I might be. I mean, I'm not a 17-year-old girl on a boat, so apparently I'm like a worthless It's all over. Husk, it's all over. A worthless husk, according to <laughs> our last detective. 
We should also mention that our novel, which we will be doing after this next episode, is coming up, and that is Murder is Easy, a very, very technical Inspector Battle um, novel. Inspector Battle is tangential to that story at best, so I I think it's probably more accurate to call it a standalone, but that is our next novel, so looking forward to that. And in the meantime, we would love to hear from you. Uh, We would love to get emails from you at allaboutthedame at gmail.com or hear from you on Facebook. Our Facebook page is All About Agatha. We're also on Twitter at All About the Dame. Tweet Catherine at Brobcat. She would love to hear from you. Especially if you want to talk to me about how it's super creepy that our last detective was really enamored <laughs> with a 17-year-old on a boat. <laughs> or you can post some photos that convey your feelings on that topic on our Instagram account. <laughs> that would be at All About Agatha. You could leave us a review in which you opine about Sir Edward Palliser and anything else Christy related, either on iTunes or Stitcher or wherever you're listening to this podcast. Please take a moment to do that. We would love to hear from you. And we will see you next time. Bye. Bye. Bye.